As we have already mentioned, today is the first Sunday in Advent. Advent is a season for sobriety, for self-examination, not unlike Lent, as we allow the Holy Spirit to examine our hearts before God and see what changes need to be made. This is in part because we anticipate Jesus coming again, as we have already heard in this service, as we sing about in many of our hymns. And Paul, in Romans chapter 13, verses 11 through 14, deals with the issue of the imminent return of Jesus. And in the verses that preceded 8 through 10, he talks about certain uh, behavioral things that we ought to be doing. He quotes from some of the Ten Commandments. And he says, all of these are summed up in one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. And then in verse 11, these words, this is all the more urgent for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up. For our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourselves with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. This is the word of God for the people of God. May be seated. And as we bow our heads for prayer, I just want to uh, share with you very briefly that our brother Paul Wade, who uh, attends this service faithfully with his wife Joan and members of his family, um, had an aneurysm to burst in his brain uh, on Wednesday while he was at Kroger. Um, He was found in the men's room uh, unconscious. Uh, An ambulance was called. Uh, Thankfully miraculously. They were able to get him in at UK quickly. Uh, They did a couple of procedures uh, that day, one to drain the blood and the fluid off his brain, the other to um, go in through a vein in his leg all the way into his brain and to to plug this this aneurysm to prevent it from leaking any further. Amazingly, miraculously, Connie and I saw him yesterday. Uh, Jeremy saw him over the last uh, few days. He was sitting up in a chair. Uh, There is no sign of any impairment with his speech or his thinking. He is doing exceptionally well. And it's just only by the grace of God that all these things came together in such a way that this did not occur while he was driving down the highway on the way with his family. They're supposed to go to Virginia for a family reunion over Thanksgiving. He had been alone earlier in the day, been in Lexington running some errands. Um, It happened at a place and at a time where others were able to get help to him quickly, which was just instrumental in saving his life. So we give glory to God this morning and thank the Lord with his family uh, that this is um, the outcome, that, that he is on the road to recovery. He'll be in ICU in the neurological uh, 
floor of UK hospital for probably several more days. They said up to two weeks, uh, but he is doing so well. Uh, I'm hopeful that he'll be dismissed earlier. He's already talking about going to the UK bowl game. Um, and, uh, and, you know, he's not going to be able to direct the parking at the city of Bethlehem. Uh, as he has done for several years, but he said he'd be glad to make some calls and to help out with it. It's just amazing. But uh, you keep him in your prayers. If you know Paul, then uh, you're welcome to go visit. Uh, he is able to receive visitors. And um, again, he'll be there for, for many more days, perhaps. Uh, at, at the third or fourth day after something like this, there's the possibility of other complications and issues. So I just ask you to join me in praying for him that um, all will continue to go well and that his brain will heal. So let's, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Gracious God, we are so grateful for uh, the ways in which your providence cared for Paul uh, this past week um, on Thanksgiving Eve and how he was able to get the help he needed immediately to uh, stop this bleeding and to repair his brain. And we pray in the strong and mighty name of Jesus that through the medical intervention and care that he's receiving at UK and also through the prayers of your people, hundreds of people praying for Paul, that you will heal and restore him completely. And we know that they will give glory to God as they have been doing for the last few days. We thank you. We praise you and thank you for... Um, for hearing our prayers and for answering our prayers. And now, come Holy Spirit, come and speak to us from the Word, this text out of Romans chapter 13, as we enter this season of Advent today and prepare ourselves, not just to celebrate Christmas, but for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, and all of God's people said, Amen. Well, it's getting uh, a lot darker earlier now. We are in that season of the year when the days are shortening. Um, I think the longest day of the year somewhere around December 22nd. So we've got a few more days to go. We were at my mother-in-law's over Thanksgiving and they're on central time. So sometime after four o'clock it starts to get kind of dark and then by 4.30 the sun is setting. And I remember we lived growing up in Tennessee. I just hated those, those short days, those early sunsets. These late fall days leading up to winter are shorter and darker. And, and I think they make the lights of Christmas all the more wonderful um, as, as we involve ourselves in a lot of time-consuming decorating for Christmas. We somehow find in the lights uh, some renewed hope as we proclaim the birth of the Savior. But when the Savior was born in Judea 2,000 years ago, we, we cannot even begin to imagine how dark the world was then. Herod the Great, who was the ruler over the Holy Land at the time of Jesus' birth, had been on the throne for uh, many decades. And he was a great builder whose crowning achievement was the uh, refurbishment, the expansion of the Temple Mount and of the second Jewish temple. He wanted to do something for the Jews as one who was trying to bridge uh, the uh, gap, the vast gap between the Roman Empire that was the oppressors that were over the Holy Land at that time and the Jewish people. 
There were many other archaeological, uh, there are many other archaeological digs in the Holy Land that have uncovered some of the other amazing uh, achievements, uh, architectural achievements of Herod's reign. But, but most of those were done on the backs of the poor, quite frankly, through slave labor and through heavy taxation. Even so, even so, Herod uh, is, is a very prominent figure in the history of Israel. And um, we as a nation, quite young at 243 years of age, have never been occupied by foreign power. Not once in our nation's history. And so it's very hard for us to imagine what it would have been like for generations of Jews for hundreds of years to live under oppressive Gentile rule. A Herod resorted to overwhelming brutality and force to quail all rebellion against his rule. He was known for his murderous rages against members of his own family who threatened his power. Uh, and it was Herod the Great, Matthew chapter 2 tells us, who was responsible for the slaughter of all those innocent baby boys in Bethlehem after he learned from the Magi that the newborn king of the Jews had been born. Uh, his rage, his jealousy, uh, his insecurity... Uh, caused him to strike out in such a horrific way, uh, inflicting tremendous pain. Uh, the 27th of December, by the way, is the uh, day in the Christian year in which the slaughter of the innocents are remembered only two days after Christmas. In the history of the church, there is this, this very sobering reminder that many lives were lost even as one life came to change the world. About this Messiah, the prophet Isaiah had written 700 years earlier. Just stop and think about that. 700 years. Isaiah wrote these words. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. For those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. Isaiah 9.2 in the Gospel of John, in chapter 1, which gives us a theological reflection on the birth of Jesus, the author says, "...the one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, who was coming into the world, he came into the very world he created." But the world did not recognize him. We know today that the world still fails to recognize to see, to know Jesus for who he was. Uh, people continue to walk in darkness. They continue to, to struggle <coughs> to understand his identity. I remember... <coughs> Would you get me some water, Jeremy? <coughs> I uh, recently read and heard a report about something that um, has happened in a very stunning kind of way in our country for the third year in a row. The Center for Disease Control has said that life expectancy in the United States is on the decline for the first time in decades. People have been living longer with each passing year, but for three years, three consecutive years, that is not the case. The question is why? 
Uh, statistically, how, how do we make sense of this? People are living longer in Canada, much longer than they do here and in the UK and in other developed nations, but we are on the decline. It appears that one of the, one of the reasons why is uh, the explosion of deaths in our country by drug abuse and by alcoholism. And also the dramatic increase over the last 20 years of, um, thank you so much, of, of death by suicide. And you couple that with obesity and all the health-threatening, um, death-inducing illnesses that, that come from not taking care of ourselves. Our country is having a crisis of good health, of longevity. And one commentator says it, it seems to be another indicator that America is, is, is wandering away from many of its Christian uh, foundation stones that gave people meaning and purpose in their lives. And now those are being lost. The upheaval and conflict in our nation's government, um, in its politics... The uncertainty about the future. I don't know about you. I suspect it churns up in you like it does me. Feelings of anxiety and sometimes anger and frustration. There are, are oppressive regimes in the world today just as there were 2,000 years ago. There are wars and rumors of wars. There is poverty and there is starvation. The world is a dark place still today. There's also the emotional and the spiritual darkness that people experience that plagues many of us. And, and there aren't enough Christian lights in the whole world to dispel this type of darkness for, for some who struggle with depression and with anxiety. You know, that spikes between Thanksgiving and December every year. There's articles and news features about it. Um, I vow every Advent not, not to fall prey to the darkness, to the stress and the anxiety that comes with all the responsibilities, the added burdens that I seem to carry this time of the year. Those who've lost loved ones grieve more deeply during the holidays and unmet expectations are especially hard too. And some of us, some of us in this church family, I know you by name, some are not here because of this tendency to withdraw, to retreat into isolation when your own personal darkness overwhelms you. You, you disconnect from the family of God, from this community of faith. And when we notice that, when we see somebody is gone, they're absent, we as brothers and sisters of Christ ought to reach out to them. Uh, perhaps visit them, take them to lunch, send them a card or give them a call to tell them they've not been forgotten. We, we love you. We care about you. Come back. We need you to be present among us, even though you may be struggling in some way in your life. During Advent, we should look evil squarely in the eye and relinqu relinquish all these pretensions that, that often are heightened during Christmas that the world is good, that all is right, that this is a happy season. Because it's not. It is a fallen world, a corrupt world. And because the world is that way, 
The people that live in that world share in its state. Now, Christmas is only 24 days away. It's kind of scary, isn't it? 24 days. Uh, Advent seems a little shorter this year than usual. And before we arrive at that happy day of celebration, Advent forces us to walk through the night believing it won't always be dark. It won't always be dark. In our personal lives, in our families, um, in, in sometimes in churches and communities and certainly in our nation and our world. Um, I am so indebted to Jeremy for introducing me to uh, Fleming Rutledge, who is uh, an Episcopal priest. I think she's into her 80s now. And she, since her retirement from active pastoral ministry, has been writing a lot of books and, and bringing together a collection of her sermons on a number of topics. And last year she published a book on Advent. I've never seen anything like it. It's over 600 pages long, and it is so rich and wonderful. And it's too much to read in one, one Advent. Uh, I read a lot of it last year, and I'm reading it again this year. But she says this about Advent. She says, over the centuries, as the church's liturgical calendar developed, the identity of Advent took on a particular shape that is not so well understood today. The season was not intended to be the run-up to Christmas in the sense that we think of today. It was designed to be the season that looked forward, not to the birth of the baby Jesus in Bethlehem, but to the second coming of Christ. Advent locates the church properly in between the times, the time of waiting through the night for the bridegroom to come. And this is why historically the church, Protestant and Catholic and Orthodox, has spent three of these four Sundays of Advent focusing on the second coming of Christ, not his birth in Bethlehem. And so our, Christian, uh, our Chris, Christmas preparations as Christians is not so much about you know, buying gifts and attending parties and... and you know, making up menus and doing decorating and all that kind of stuff. It's about staying ready spiritually for the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But the question is, how do we prepare? What do we do to get ready uh, for this event that was fully expected in the first century by Paul and the apostles and the early church? 2,000 years have passed and many have doubted whether Jesus will ever return again. Uh, they, they feel like that, that it's, it's a fairy tale. But even the authors of Scripture are in unison, in agreement with Jesus himself in the Gospels that he shall return. So what do we do to get ready? Well, for the past two Sundays, we've talked a little bit about that. We talked about judgment, didn't we? Two weeks ago, we looked at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, and the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ, before which all believers will have to give an account of their life, what they've done in these human bodies, how they've lived their life faithfully or unfaithfully as followers of Jesus. And then in Matthew 25 we saw last week that all of humanity will be held accountable for how well or how poorly we have treated the least of these. The people that are easily forgotten and overlooked in this world. 
And implicit in those judgments is this call to repentance. It's not too late to change your ways. This is undoubtedly why Romans chapter 13 verses 11 through 14 is a passage that is often read uh, in Christian tradition at, at the beginning of Advent. Paul believed that Jesus would return. The early church was convinced of this. And so he admonishes this church in Rome to live in a manner that is worthy of, of, of the character of a follower of Jesus. In fact, he says there, there's an explicit reference here in that passage if you were listening. He, he, says, uh, he says, wake up for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living because we belong to the day. We must live decent lives for all to see. So, so your character does matter. It's hard to believe that anymore for a lot of reasons. Character counts, still counts, especially for the people of God. And so there are uh, three admonitions that can be derived from this passage that I'm just going to share with you briefly before we come to the Lord's table. The first one is to wake up, to wake up. And he says it's very urgent that, that we stay awake during this time. Now I'm just going to tell you with my hand up, one over my heart, I've never been drunk in my whole life. In fact, I can only recall one time when I've ever had a drink of alcohol. But I've been around drunks and I've had people tell me that a hangover is the worst. That... that it's a terrible feeling to wake up the next morning and to be hung over from a binge, from a drunken binge the night before. Well, waking up with a spiritual hangover of self-indulgence and complacency is equally dif difficult. And so there's an urgency to Advent that requires sobriety of one's soul, of one's spirit. Are you with me on this? We, we need to wake up. We need to take account of our lives, inventory of our behaviors, our commitments, our values, and how we're living day by day for Christ. We're to wake up because it won't always be dark. The day is dawning. The second thing is to clean up. Uh, St. Augustine lived in the 4th century, 350 years after the resurrection of Jesus. And as a young man in his 20s, he lived a very immoral life. He drank too much. He was sexually promiscuous. He fathered a child with a mistress. In his autobiography, he says, I boasted about my sins and I longed for more of the world's sinful pleasures. He said, I wanted to experience everything I could in my flesh that, that brought me pleasure. And his mother, who was a devout Christian, was praying against all that, faithfully. In his early, uh, early 30s, he, he found that singing in church deeply moved him. And he also began uh, to read the Apostle Paul. And, and, and there was a drift toward his mother's faith that was getting, uh, beginning to take place. But, but his... his 
desire for his sinful passions, these pleasures of his, of his youth, uh, were still pulling him back. And he found himself torn asunder. And under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, it was so strong in his life that one day while sitting in a friend's garden underneath a tree, he began to weep. And he fell on the ground into this fig tree. And he cried out, How long, O Lord? And you can just imagine the desperation he was feeling at that moment. I can't take this any longer. This being torn asunder by this conviction. The call to the old life and the call to a new life. And his heart answered him in a whisper. Augustine heard a voice say, Why not now? Why not now? He then heard a child's sing-song voice repeating over and over, Take it and read it. Take it and read it. Take it and read it. And he, he grabbed up a scroll of the New Testament and he opened it uh, by the providence of God to Romans chapter 13. These very verses that I read to you just a few moments ago. Um, he, he read these verses and they pierced his heart. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. Don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. And at that moment, Augustine said he was filled with light as the darkness was driven out of him. And it was not until his baptism, a short time later, that he felt all this filth removed from his life and he was washed clean in Christ. Years later, he returned from Italy after his mother died to North Africa, which was his place of birth. He started a monastery. He became uh, known as Bishop of Hippo. And, and, and then emerged as a brilliant theologian in the medieval church, one of the great minds of Christianity that has ever lived. Clean up. Paul says, clean up. It won't always be dark. The third and final thing is, uh, Advent is not only a time for us to repent and to clean up the chaotic mess of an undisciplined life and to live simply and, purity, and purely for Jesus. It is a time to dress up. Uh, Paul says, instead, clothe yourselves with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. He is talking about a spiritual decision, a choice we make to take on the garment of Jesus. Uh, to invite His presence to transform us, to change us from within. Our three-year-old grandson, Ezra, loves dressing up like superheroes. He's just nuts. I tell you, the kid would live in a superhero costume 24-7. It's all you can do to get him to go to church without dressing up like Spider-Man. Um, and, and he's got numerous costumes. He wants to sleep in them. He wants to go to school in them. Oh, to have that kind of enthusiasm for dressing up like Jesus. Think about that. To long for the character of Christ to be formed in you. For people to see your decency, your integrity, your, your honesty, your compassion, your love, and all those other things that characterize Christ. 
I mean, this is the time for dressing up. At Christmas, we, uh, we dress up in warm socks and coats and hats and gloves. We also dress up in those tacky Christmas sweaters and wear them to parties. And we dress up our homes with lights and decorations. If you knew Jesus would return by Christmas, listen to me now. If you knew if, if Jesus would return by Christmas, how would you dress differently? between now and December 25th? What would you like to be found doing upon his return? And what changes would you make to your life? Dress up, Paul says. Put on the garment of Jesus because it won't always be dark. Now as we come forward in just a moment for Holy Communion, I want to read to you for some words from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. These are really uh, good, good reminders during Advent about how Holy Communion is a look back to the cross and the sacrifice of Jesus, but also a look forward to His coming again. Paul says this, For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until He comes again. Every time we come to this communion rail, we are remembering His sacrificing and, and, and announcing that Jesus is coming back. Lord, we pray that we will have open hearts to Your Holy Spirit in these next moments as we come to this kneeling rail and uh, bow down before you and worship you. You are the light of the world. We invite your light to come and shine in us and through us. Uh, we pray that you'll dispel the darkness of our lives. Uh, we invite you to, to come into places that we have kept locked up, kept away from you. Uh, come, Holy Spirit, and just unlock those doors. We give you permission to come and, and, and to clean us as we wake up, that you'll just clean us so that we might dress up and be more like Jesus in these days of Advent. In preparation for His coming again and also to celebrate His birth. Amen.